0: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Real quick, just to dive in, today's going to be a little bit of a different style uh, on the podcast. It's going to be shorter, at least I anticipate it's going to be shorter. And uh, because of that, if uh, the subject matter doesn't uh, strike you as the most exciting thing in the world... Well, you'll have to bear with me for an abbreviated time. But it's something that has been on my mind as I've been reading and as I've been writing, uh, as, as it relates to fly fishing, but as it relates to conservation, and as I talk about in, in Casting Across, the quarry and the culture of fly fishing. So I try to think thoughts that have a little bit of depth to them, not in the sense that I'm heady, not in, the, in any sort of ivory tower sense. But when I'm thinking about what we do, I like to think how it touches lots of different things. Uh, For example, I like to think about how uh, our, our fly fishing touches other people, about how this is a wonderful opportunity for relationship. I like to think about how our fly fishing touches us personally, how there's opportunities to reflect on what we're doing, why we're doing it, about things like memories and nostalgia, how it's not simply a base activity of going out and catching a fish. And I think a lot of my audience, from what I hear, both from email and from interaction uh, in person, a lot of you enjoy that. A lot of you can appreciate that as well. You understand that there is something uh, that that's transcends the simple act of uh, finding the right fly and casting it to the fish. So when I talk about thinking deeper thoughts, I'm not talking about thinking, you know, things that uh, re- require uh, five-syllable words to articulate. I think about things that just have those connections to other aspects of what we do and why we do it. And so that is kind of what today is about. And today I want to to pose something. I want to pose uh, an aspect of fly fishing and more specifically conservation. And I think the two goes hand in hand. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I talked about uh, uh, the conservation camp I attended as a a youth, but how conservation, uh, that we need to be Co-belligerence in conservation, regardless of where we stand on the political spectrum, that we need to uh, be uh, standing arm in arm, regardless of our greater worldview. Now, when I say these things, I'm not diminishing the importance of worldview. In fact, I think it is necessary. I think conservation, as I'll we'll talk about here in a second, is downstream from little cold water conservation pun there. Uh, conservation is ultimately downstream from worldview, and I'll. I'll explain what that means here in a second, but uh, I I think that it is something that is necessary to think about uh, as how our conservation ethos and practice plays into it. Uh, and I'm not saying that politics aren't important. Politics certainly are important. Uh, but if if we arrive at an intersection where we come from two very different political strains, two very different worldview strains, two very different even conservation paradigm strains, and we find ourselves at a similar spot, a similar junction, a a juxtaposition of everything we believe, but we find ourselves each holding a rock, trying to uh, remove a culvert. And, uh, and and put in a, a fish passageway that we should do that. And that should lead to greater cooperation, but it should also lead to good conversation. So basically what I'm advocating for is a mere conservationism. All right? a, a mere conservationism. So what do I mean by that? Well, uh, this concept is certainly uh, stemming from uh, one of my favorite Christian philosophers, uh, C.S. Lewis. So I I don't agree with a lot of Lewis's theology, uh, but I agree with a lot of his philosophy. Uh, A lot of what he wrote uh, about 75, 100 years ago is incredibly pertinent and prescient for today. I just actually reread the Screwtape Letters, and regardless of where you stand uh, from a religious standpoint uh, it's a phenomenal uh, look at um, kind of how our vices are are seen from the negative side so it's written from the, the perspective of a, a, a tormenting demon um, but uh, in in the screw tape letters the, the things that he's dealing with for you know in in World War II uh, are things that are still being dealt with today and, and the things that he talks about in Screwtape proposes a toast regarding public education and things like that are are things that are being hashed out and dealt with literally, in, in our courts today and uh, in our state and federal uh, legislatures today. But all that to say, uh, Lewis is known for a book called Mere Christianity, and this book really tries to find common ground uh, uh, among different Christian groups. So this idea of, of mere conservationism kind of is a riff on that. So what do I mean by mere conservationism? Mere conservationism is the, again, the juxtaposition of all of our worldviews, all of our political standpoints, all of our conservation paradigms, where we can still stand arm in arm when a cause needs to be affected. Uh, So here's a great example of this. Um, You look at Pebble Mine. So Pebble Mine uh, is dead as, as far as we can tell, and you had a lot of different voices that were advocating for the cease of any forward progress for the Pebble Mine project up in Alaska. So, what did you have? You had sport fishing and commercial fishing interests standing arm in arm with Trout Unlimited. And with uh, um, Native American tribes and with other even greener groups than, than TU, even more what we would say leftward leaning um, uh, conservation and environmentalist groups. Um, certainly TU, uh, for, for for what its politics are, is not the most left leaning group because we, we go after fish. I mean, we're, we're catching fish. There are groups that are further to the left that think our entire enterprise of fly fishing Catch and release, catch and keep, no matter what it is, as soon as we stand in that river with the intent to engage with that animal without its consent, we have put ourselves on the far right in their perspective. But all of that said, all of those groups came together to present a unified front for uh, the this, this stopping of pebble Mine. So this is what I'm talking about. This is a good thing. This demonstrates a couple of things. It shows a certain pragmatism. That is to say, that the ends justify the means. So um what I'm not saying in a situation like that is that the Native American groups that were advocating to stop pebble mine were saying, all right, we're gonna let bygones be bygones. They certainly weren't, and I'm not gonna comment on that one way or another, but they're they're not saying, well, everything's water under the bridge. Um, nor did the, the, say the, the far left, uh, more eco activist groups. Did they say, well, Tu and all of the, uh, you know, fly fishing industry companies that ponied up money and ponied up resources to advocate for the stopping of pebble mine. I guess we're best friends now, and we're going to let you catch fish. Like, you know, factory farming is still bad, but you guys can, can catch, uh, catch trout still. That's not at all what happened, but in that moment, the, the, the need was so great that That these groups stood up together to essentially say, this is an important thing that we can all agree on. Now, you have two things at play here. First, you have the problem at hand. And that's something that, again, can be agreed on. There can be co-belligerents that are acting together, even though they come from different areas. They come from different interests. They come from different worldviews and different paradigms. So that's one thing that's happening. Secondly, you have an opportunity for conversation because it, it reveals the fact that even though we may be very, very different in some areas, we are very, very similar in other areas. All right. So Pebble Mine is just one example. Pebble Mine is just one case study. You could say the same thing about what's happening in the Everglades. You could say the same thing about what's happening. um, Well, probably won't happen this year because we have this remarkable amount of snowfall even though i was told by somebody like 20 years ago that we wouldn't my my children wouldn't know what snow was but hey here we are um but in seasons where we don't have enough rain and we have the rivers run dry out in the west uh, you have the same thing happen you have people from across the political spectrum across the conservation uh, ethos spectrum that come together arm in arm to work together to solve problems. When there are a bunch of trout that are stranded in an oxbow because the river has dried up, no one asks if you vote Republican or Democrat when they hand you a bucket to put that trout in it and take it back to the river channel. And, and that's important. That's okay. That doesn't eliminate those distinctions. And it certainly doesn't, uh, Get rid of opportunities to have conversations about those distinctions. It's just in that moment, we have to do what is. Right, so that's the idea of mere conservationism, that we are looking at what's the most important thing and how are we going to make it happen. So, uh, how does this work out more proactively? Because I think I think we would all say if we found ourselves in that situation uh, where there was an immediate call to action, some sort of 911 thing, uh, where your local trout stream, uh, your local um, wetland, you know, whatever it might be, puts out the call, you'd go and and make it happen and deal with uh, you know the weirdos on the right of you or the weirdos on the left of you um, as need be. How do we we think about this in more proactive terms? Well, let me give you a, another example, a more personal example. So I make no bones about it and probably already ascertained by my few comments about C.S. Lewis and about uh, about his philosophies and uh, ultimately his his uh, status as a Christian figure of the 20th century, one of the foremost Christian literary figures of the 20th century, that uh, I am a Christian. I'm, I, w- I would identify as a Reformed Christian. Um, evangelical has a lot of baggage these days, but that's probably also the the right classification that I would put myself in. And so consequently, I believe things about the the formation of not just of the earth, but of reality. I don't think that it happened uh, by random chance. I think that it was designed not by an intelligence, by, but by the intelligence, by the God who's revealed himself in scripture and in the incarnation, the person of Jesus Christ. So this is what I believe about the world, okay? You might believe something totally different. And, and I'm not saying that's fine in the sense that I don't care. I don't be, believe that there can be two opposing truths. But for the sake of this, this example, um, let's acknowledge that I believe that about how the world came into being. You believe either that or something else. Okay. Um, now, this informs my ethos of conservation. Now, there are some Christians that I would admit have very bad conservation ethic. They believe that the world, that the natural world in particular, whether it be trees or whether it be the soil or even fish, are something to be used and abused because it's all going to burn anyway. That's not my theology. I don't think that's the Bible's theology. I think we are. I don't think. I know. I have confidence that what we are taught, what we see from the very first pages of the Bible is that we are supposed to be stewards. We are given a dominion mandate. We are supposed to cultivate and care for. And in the Hebrew, it's actually very, very clear that the the orders given to Adam and Eve, our first parents, is to take care of creation. So taking care of sometimes means uh, allowing something to grow sometimes it means harvesting things. Uh, It it means that you can use it, but use it with best practices in mind. So that basis, that foundation informs my conservation ethos. So I have no problem eating a fish. I have no problem throwing a fish back. I have no problem killing off a bunch of invasive species. I also have no problem saying this is a river that is imperiled. So we shouldn't even access it, let alone harvest the fish from it. So I am okay across the conservation spectrum of employing all of the different tactics and approaches to conservation that you would find with somebody who has an opposing worldview. So somebody who has a very naturalistic worldview, a materialist worldview, that the physical is all that there is. They may arrive at the same conclusions regarding a stream that needs to have some sort of um, uh, procedure done to it, uh, whether it be through uh, electrofishing or even through introducing some sort of um, uh, piscicide. Is that a word? Piscicide? Fish killer, all right, Uh, because there's an invasive species there, or a fish, a a stream that needs to be put into special regulations, or even a no fishing uh, situation because of an imperiled um, uh, population. They may arrive at that, and this might be you, this might be your worldview. uh, They might arrive at that because there is some sort of worldview that's materialist that says that the physical is all that all that there is. We believe in a, a naturalist, uh, um, natural selection, as well as basically a survival of the fittest, uh, not to characterize uh, these perspectives, but uh, a materialist, naturalist, and ultimately humanist uh, perspective that says that we need to do what is in, within the best of our ability, to the best of our knowledge, to keep things the same and or make them better. So two very different worldviews, my Christian worldview, biblical worldview, and potentially your, uh, not to make any assumptions if you if you have a Christian worldview or a different worldview, but the worldview that says naturalism and materialism. We hit this intersection of conservation where we both come to the same stream. And I say, I need to protect this because I've been given as, a, as an image bearer, as a human, I've been given a divine mandate that part of my role as being created for who I am is to protect this trout stream. You come to it and say, because I have evolved to who I am. I've evolved to because our so our society has evolved to how it has evolved to. We need to, because of our intelligence and our means, uh, we need to take care of these other life forms because uh, they have been imperiled by decisions that we've made in the past that have put them in, in danger. So two very different worldviews, two, uh, two huge sets of assumptions, but they find a crossroads at a little spring creek that needs protection and needs habitat improvement put into it. And so I would call that mere conservationism, where we don't say, I don't want your help because you don't believe in global warming, or I don't want your help because you are an evangelical, or I don't want your help because you use spinning gear and i don't want your help because you're one of those uppity uh uh fly fishers with a tweed jacket and a, cr- a wicker creel and that you say i don't use a creel uh but y- you see what i'm saying that those kind of problems or those kind of issues are worth talking about Um, But we have to acknowledge that in these situations uh, where where conservation is on the forefront, pebble mind is another great example where you had, and and I've used it already, but a diverse set of interests, worldviews, and paradigms that came together to accomplish something that needed to be accomplished. Now, my hope in a ginormous situation like that, that there's bars up in Alaska where two very different people, the one guy in slickers covered in fish guts drinking his beer and then the hippie who is drinking their you know, kombucha um, that have two completely different worldviews, that they can now talk about deeper things because they realize that there's this point of contact, that they have a lot in common, that they've both worked hard to try to affect change where they are uh, up in Alaska uh, on this significant issue my hope and my goal in some small way, what I've shared today, you know, can get you thinking about that also. So the person who has the Trump, the Trump bumper sticker at your, your, um, to you chapter meeting, you know, don't sit on the furthest corner where you say, yeah, but yeah, but okay. They think, yeah, but yeah, but about you with your Biden sticker, or you might, you might still have a Hillary sticker. Um, you know, and, and you, you can't say I'm 100% right about everything and they're 100% wrong about everything if you both are trying to protect wild trout, okay? You might be 99% right, they might be 1% right, and you share that 1%, okay? And that is, that is where we need to have this mere conservationism, where we need to come together and at the bare minimum, if we are you know if we are both picking up trash on the side of the road uh, in, in, the, in the state park, then we need to do that well together. And as we do that without vitriol, Without capital J judgment, we all make lowercase J judgments all the time. That's that's how we you know make sure that we uh, we eat the uh, the hamburger and not the wrapper, right? We make judgment, we make discernment, we make we make um, prejudiced decisions about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, and things like that. But without making those capital J judgments about others, we have conversations to figure out where people are, where they are, why people are doing what they're doing, and how we can both love holding a nine-foot graphite stick with some PVC coated, coated nylon line, throwing fur, feathers, foam, and other things to try to fool fish. It's pretty fascinating when you think about it. Not just the, uh, the F-sounding alliteration that I happened to pull out right there. But it's just fascinating to think, um, just the diversity within fly fishing. It really does span a spectrum politically. You might think, oh no, everyone, everyone's like me. Everyone's a, a bleeding heart liberal, or you might think everyone's like me. Everyone's a you know a gun toting, uh, maga hat wearing you know person. Uh, the reality is, it's it's across that spectrum. Um, there, from you're seeing it more and more where there's gender and race and socioeconomic diversity within fly fishing in a way that was just un- unthinkable. You know, when I started fly fishing twenty-five years ago, we're seeing a lot more diversity. Is it still dominated by upper middle-class white guys? Absolutely, but uh, you know, it's a lot more diversity than there used to be. So, anyway, uh, a little bit of food for thought. Mere conservationism. Uh, Who can you talk to that you are different from, and more importantly, who can you work with that you are different from, knowing that this is one area in life where you're co-belligerent—the person that you are fighting in a similar cause for might have a completely different worldview. That doesn't mean that you're both right, because that can't be. Uh, There can't be two opposing truths. That's uh, logically uh, impossible. Well, any thoughts about that? Let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. Did I offend you? Maybe I did. I I tried to offend everybody. I I really did my best to kind of like, you know, shoot my shot in every direction. But um, if I if I failed to offend you, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. This week I'm casting across two articles, the first one I'll mention a little bit here at the end of the, uh, the, the podcast it is, uh, for my, my recommendation, but, uh, I wrote about the angler's glossary. It's a a new book, uh, a self-published book by a friend and a fly fishing mentor of mine and Michael Klimkos. Um, but it talks about why you would want a book that is a glossary when the internet's out there and you can Google anything. Why would you want a book? That's a glossary. Uh, well, Here's why. Uh, because the internet's out there, and the internet is out there. Uh, to be able to find the right uh, information in a concise format that has been thought out is not always the easiest thing. So to have this simple book is a great thing if you're a new angler, if you are teaching fly fishing, um, or if, uh, if, if you simply want a resource to kind of touch base on uh, t- uh, topics and context and uh, um, concepts that find their way into normal fly fishing writing and conversation that you want to just make sure that you have a nice grasp of. So the English glossary, I'll mention it here again in a second where you can find it. Wednesday's article is called The Globe, The Swift, and My Inbox. The Globe, The Swift, and My Inbox. So uh, spot burning is when you tell the world, or you at least tell a, a portion of the world, your social media following, where you've been fishing. So it offends those other people that fish there. Well, the the Boston Globe wrote an article about the Swift River, which is a tailwater in central Massachusetts, and um, it's not spot. Well, it is spot burning, but at the same time, everyone already knows about it, and I like that. I like the fact that they gave it more publicity because um, I think that there is some sort of equation where a river that has no traffic publicity is bad, uh, and a river that has a lot of traffic. Publicity is good because it increases the eyes that are on the river, the investment that is in the river, uh, so that there can be less shenanigans on the river. And there certainly are shenanigans and tomfoolery and even some horseplay that happen on the Swift river. So the more people there, the better, the fish aren't going to get any smarter. They've already seen every fly that you can throw at them. So this week's uh, recommendation on the podcast is, once again, the Angler's Glossary from uh, Mike Klimkos. So um, Mike was a formative uh, figure in the formation of the Rivers Conservation and Fly Fishing Youth Camp. That is where I met him when I was uh, first a camper back in uh, the, the turn of the century. Uh, and then I came back as a director, so I became uh, a fellow director with Mike. And Mike and I spent a lot of time together working on the camp. We went, we iced fished together. Um, we smoked meat and cigars together. Uh, but Mike is a, a great guy who has a real heart for um, quality Writing and Communication, as well as uh, Education uh, in Fly Fishing and Conservation. So definitely pick this book up. And if you are in fly fishing education, I would say buy a copy of this as a resource for you and for your students. If you have a fly shop or a library or something like that, then pick this up. It is a no-nonsense book, very clear, very concise, Um, but I will put a link to where you can grab this book on Amazon, which is where everyone buys everything, uh, on the show notes to this podcast page over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.